it's still the same thing, right? You're still talking to a human. You're mm-hmm. still talking to a bunch of humans who are still emotional, irrational, <laughs> right? And despite all that, all the protective B2B cocoon around them, they still have human drives. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. If you're enjoying the Managing Marketing podcast, please either like, review, or share this episode to help spread the words and wisdom from our guest each week. This week, we're discussing B2B marketing, often considered by some in advertising as the poor relation of B2C. B2B marketing has undergone a significant transformation with an increased focus on building strong brand relationships that do not just support sales, but create the platform for business growth. My guest this week has worked in advertising agencies and successfully led marketing in a number of B2B businesses and now has founded and created his own marketing and media company specialising in B2B marketing growth. Please welcome to the Managing Marketing Podcast Creative Director, Message Marketer and Marketing Consultant of Melotti Media and the Message Marketing Bureau, Christopher Melotti. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much, Darren. That was quite a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, look, uh, from my perspective, and one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation Mm. is I think you are one of the few practitioners in the B2B and marketing marketing space who has applied the very disciplines Mm -hmm. that they recommend to your own businesses, both to Malotti Media and to the Message Marketing Bureau. Yes. And I think that's really important because a lot of people talk about, you know, the uh, shoemaker's shoes or the builder's renovation, you know, that never gets completed. But you're actually not only recommending and implementing mm-hmm. strategies and, and, and techniques, but you're using them yourself. Why is that so important to you? Evidence. Right. When I actually, that's the best way you could have started this, is uh, because I, for me, I was totally against ever being a business that didn't practice what we preach, right? Like I, for me, everything I do in marketing is coming from a genuine place. It's my DNA, right? And so when I was looking at launching and ever since I have launched, I said, if I'm going to be selling thought leadership articles and writing those, I have to have my own. If I'm going to be selling great articulated messages, then my website needs to reflect that and so forth. Even my personal brand, you know, you see me all on LinkedIn. I don't do that for any other reason other than the fact that I want to show the power of marketing because how am I supposed to do it if I'm not demonstrating it? Yeah. So it's, it's one of my core principles and it's one that I teach my team as well. And it clearly works because mm-hmm. when I talk to the um, businesses that are doing business with you, yes, one of the things they say is what you see is what you get. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, but that's a, that's a good thing mm. because, you know, there is no, uh, you know, bait and switch. There's no, no. over-promise, under-deliver. The very mm. fact that they're attracted to your offering and your business. And and we must be clear, you've grown quite a big business. You know, this yes. is not just you as a sole operator. Yeah. You've got quite a big team now behind you in both businesses, haven't you? Yes, yes. And it's 
it, I pinch myself a lot. So this is my seventh year and I, I still, I, I just, I can't believe how it has progressed. And it's not because I haven't, like I've always been, you know, had the strategy, used marketing principles and all of that, but it is a little bit of a pinch me moment because you look at it and you go, what am I doing teaching the Australian Bureau of Statistics? Like what am I doing working with News Corp? And then you, like it's it's a bit of that imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Because you put all the pieces together, then when it works, you go, oh, my gosh, look at where I am, you yeah. know, and it's and it's a, it's a huge, like, you just can't help it. Well, what are you saying, Chris, that uh, success just seemed to have crept up on you <laughs> and you're surprised by it? Or? Yeah, I, look, I, I do. I think you may have worked really hard. Oh, well. 100%. <laughs> the amount of hours and everything I do, but at the same time, it is, yeah. there is nothing more rewarding to, for me than seeing my own marketing work and seeing the marketing that I do for clients' work. Like, honestly, that email that says, Chris, you know, the, the slide kit that you put together uh, won us the job. You know, that honestly, that makes my week, my month, because I'm just like, yes. Mm. And and everything we do is about that. Yeah. So, Because it's having a profound effect. Yes. Profound is the right word. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And and like like you said, you know, people always go always go, Chris, you're everywhere. You're everywhere. That's not by accident. You know, I don't just go, oh, I just spray and pay. I look at it and I go, where do I want to be seen? And how do I want to be seen? And and it's all of that. And then we do it. Now, your business is probably um, fairly built around B2B marketing. Definitely. 100%. Rather than yeah. B2C. Yes. And do you think my opening comment about, you know, for a long time, oh, yeah. I worked in agencies that were very B2C focused mm-hmm. and B2B was like, oh, well, that's off in the direct marketing area. Or yeah, that's, yeah. That's sort of somehow <laughs> lesser than, than B2B. Yes. And, and it's, and it, yes, I agree. I still get told by some agencies, they go, oh, you work in B2B. We do B2C because it's more fun. And it's funny because I have never even thought about it that way. Like I used to um, teach at universities, marketing, and I used to come in and do bits and pieces. And even to those classes, I always said to them, B2C, B2P doesn't matter. You're still talking to a person. There is still, and yes, the message differs and the kind of process works differently, but you've got to remember that it's still the same thing, right? You're still talking to a human. You're Mm -hmm. still talking to a bunch of humans who are still emotional, irrational, right? And despite all that, all the protective B2B cocoon around them, they still they still have human drives. Like, oh, sorry, I was going to say that no. that when, when you're talking to people and you're talking to that marketing manager who was like, Chris pitched me, right? I know that they don't want me to pitch to them. They want me to make them look good to their boss, yeah. right? And there's a humanistic vulnerability in that that is B2B, that is fun, right? Mm. Because you get to you get to talk with and, and help people grow in their career and get the kudos they deserve. Trinity P3. It's interesting because a lot of agencies, to, to your point, will say to me, oh, we do B2B. And then when you ask them about, well, what have you done? It's usually sort of a secondary adjunct to some big yeah. B2C campaign. It's like, well, we did, we launched this product and, and here's the trade work <laughs> we did to sell it into the retailers, you know. Yeah, and, and good point. That's I think that a lot of it's driven by the fact that, you know, it was seen as the same strategy, to your mm. point, but different Yeah, in that you were never, with B2C, 
people believe they're influencing the end decision maker. Yes. Whereas in B2B, mm. you're often going to have a whole silo of decision yes. makers or influencers. Yeah. And that it's much more complex in actually knowing where you're landing. Yes. Because I, I love what the point you made before about you pitching not to solve their problem, but to make them look good to their yeah. boss. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of complexity in there. And don't like I never even when I launched this business, it naturally was B2B. It's not like I set off and said, oh, I'm gonna be B2C or B like it was just attracted a lot of the B2B. And I think it's probably from my background, which was very CMO executive um, in those industries. But at the same time, I've always found this enjoyable. Like and and I think there's a bit of a misconception here because people often think B2B means you're sitting, you're lonesome on this table that with with 17 board members looking down at you going, what do you want, right? Mm-hmm. That's usually not the case. Usually what it is is you get a marketing manager or some sort of procurement manager that needs your assistance and goes, how can I launch my tactics? How can I put my brand into action? And usually that's the person you're talking with. And occasionally you'll get some background people, but usually it's not as intimidating as a lot of people think. It's, you know, B2B is very quite accessible, especially in middle market and middle market Australia especially, is you're getting people that, like um, recently I worked with uh, a a big cleaning company Mm -hmm. that was turning over millions, right? But it was still run by a family and they were so overwhelmed um, that they just went, Chris, just get in here make it better and and just just do it. And so yes, B2B, but they were very like my you're the professional here. You just do it and we'll be happy. And that's exactly what happened. So I've I've never shied away from B2B because I think it's an enjoyable area. I think the other thing that puts people off is mm. the perception that it's all sales support. You know, it's, it's oh, doing yeah. sales brochures and sales forms and, you know, and, and organising events for the sales team to woo clients. Oh, no, and, not anymore. Know, much more about, you know, the sort of promotional arm. And I noticed on, you know, in your uh, CV, in mm. your LinkedIn profile, you actually worked uh, leading marketing on quite a significant sized real estate network. Yes, yes. Now, now real estate, most people would say, is all about sales. Yes, actually, and that's yet, a great. That's one. not your experience. Is no, it? no. So the story is, I was working the the job before. I was a head of head of marketing at Sonic Healthcare, right? So it was a big medical business, and this real estate agency called Divine Real Estate, who has now changed their name, um, they they headhunted me and they said, you've got all the right skills. We want you to bring something fresh. And so power to Stephen Devine, who owned it, um, he he headhunted me because like every other agency, he had the marketing assistant, right? The marketing assistant, like you said, it's it was the whole, you know, 20 sales agents and then there was that poor, you know, marketing assistant that put up photos online, mm-hmm. right? That was it. He brought me in and said, Chris, I want you to, he was so, it was quite visionary now that I think about it because this was back, what, 2015? Mm-hmm. And he he was like, I want you to come in and implement things. I want you to implement all the marketing because he didn't understand it, but he was like, tell me all this marketing stuff. And exactly what you said, I, I turned it on its head because instead of sales leading and marketing supporting, I actually turned it from market leading marketing leading, with sales supporting. And it was so, I didn't even realise until it happened. Like, for example, I built the brand 
You know, I put all the brand guidelines that they had never had in place. You know, we put colors and messaging together and then we made, we rolled it all out. We updated the website mm-hmm. and we started making it customer centric, not we are selling come product because product real yes. estate is product centric. Very, it's about getting the property mm. and then working out how to flog it. Yep, and we rather will... than customer centric, which is who's in the market. Yes, and how do we fulfil their needs? And I was one of the first agencies in Australia to switch that from uh, a website that went here's our properties buy. I changed it to the Divine Difference. Right. And and the reason why it was such a hard sell for the in, internally because I wanted to remove all the listings because I said real estate and domain, that's where people were going. They're not coming to our website for our properties. That was aside. What they were coming to was due diligence. Mm. And it took me forever to convince the the head ponchos there that I was that I was right. And we did it and it worked because they realised that people go, went to Domain and Real Estate, they went, oh, divine. Then they came to our website and went, oh, wow, what a great culture, what a great um, group of people, you know. And, and so I made it about the, the energy, the brand, the team mm. and, and the support and all the benefits. And now, now that's standard practice in yep. real estate. And, and I won an award from the Australian Marketing Institute. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. So Australian Marketing Institute. Yeah, it? Australian Marketing So am I. They, I remember... I won against Telstra. I won against Qantas. I was named CMO of the year. I think it was 2017, for the best of my recollection. And I was named that. And the reason why is because they said you demonstrated, because AMI is all about endorsing the marketing profession, as you know. And they said that I changed the way that marketing was seen in the real estate industry for the better. And they said because of that, you you started a movement in that space that shifted the way that marketing was seen. And as a result, you were our best ambassador for that industry. So they awarded us. And I, I remember I was floored. That's fantastic. I, I, no, I remember great. I just, I couldn't believe that, like, as I said, I was up against some big Qantas, all the big heavy hitters, but they said that I shifted things. And it was everything. Like, again, I know everyone's probably thinking this is standard stuff now. But back then in 2015, I implemented software that order, that, that, that had iPads and automation. And they, the agents were baffled. They were like, no, 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 no we use paper. <laughs> and I remember going, guys, you're selling $7 million properties, yeah. right? Like, I was like, you cannot, you cannot be going with paper. I said, we need phones that sync to a CRM. And then, and I remember I did... Little on me, I was training these agents on how to put in contacts that then what happened was the person would go to one open house and then they'd go to the next open house and the details were auto-populated. And the amount, I just remember the agents would not conform until one day, I'm talking six months in, one day one of them went, I had my whole afternoon free because all the data was automated. And I was like, there we go. And they were like, Chris is actually onto something. (laughs) (laughs) Trinity P3. So it is interesting because, you know, I think salespeople and marketing people always Mm. have a different perspective on the same objective. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Because sales, uh, you know, the objective has to be to grow the business Mm -hmm. and build a profitable, sustainable, long-term success. Marketers 
talk about building the platform yes. that attracts the customer. Mm-hmm. Salespeople talk about increasing the volume mm-hmm. of transactions. Yes. Right? And so while they're both working to the same objective, they are quite different ways of getting there, aren't they? Oh, big time. And actually the story I have was when I was at a pharmaceutical company earlier on in my career. So when I got out straight out of uni, I think it was like 2007, I graduated from marketing. One of my first jobs was the marketing and sales assistant at a pharma company. And the best demonstration of that was I was wedged in the middle of marketing and sales. And coming out of university, I was baffled with the fact that they didn't talk. Right. I was so baffled because the sales team would have some opinion and would want something and the marketing team would want something and it never felt aligned. And I, I'm, I just, I couldn't see it. So I, for me, I used to bring the sales opinion in. I used to bring the marketing team in. And that actually set me up for the mentality I have today, which is I see marketing and sales as the same thing. They should be completely aligned. And to prove it, many of my campaigns were actually delivered where the sales and marketing team were in the same room and we pitched it to them together. Yeah. And they both had buy-in. And you know what the funny thing is? The minute that people feel heard is the minute they collaborate. Of course. And that was, and that was, there were some winning campaigns out of that because the sales team went, this is what I found is the minute that I brought them in, the sales team were proud of the materials that they were using and the marketing team felt ownership of it. And so what happened was the, when it went from sales team going, oh God, what are those guys in the ivory tower doing now? It suddenly went to, this is my campaign. I'm, I'm happy to sell it. Do you think there's also a big thing that salespeople being so close to customers yes. see the differences in the customer? Oh. And so are trying to meet the nuance, you know, fulfil those nuanced differences, whereas a marketing approach is much more looking for the commonalities yes. of a larger group of people. Oh, a big time. And it, I think the weakness on both sides, so marketing's weakness is we don't listen to the sales team who are who have the ear to the ground, mm. right? But the weak, the sales weakness is they're too impulsive, right? So they will go, I've heard this, change this. I've heard this, change this, right? So the ideal business today in the B2B space is one that collaborates and, and balances out those two negatives. And you can, right? Mm. So marketing, listen more to sales. So therefore sales go, sales feel heard and marketing get the direct first-hand response. But then marketing can temper sales as, oh, I want this now. And if you find that synergy is when you get the best results because they're working together. And you said that, you know, now looking back on Mm. what you were doing with uh, Divine. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, sounds like it's common. Today. Today, but back then was quite innovative. yeah. Is that because the other big trend that we keep hearing is mm-hmm. that brand in B2B yes. has emerged as such a strong Huge. and important platform? There, there is, I have seen it evolve over the last 10 years. It went from brand was a nice to have to today brand is essential. And you can understand why. It's, it's more and more competitive. The environment changes so fast. So what I'm seeing is that, um, think about the individual person, whether it's B2B or B2C. They are bombarded now, right? If you pick up your phone and you look at how many apps are trying to send you things at once, like there's Facebook, Twitter, oh, sorry, X, um, LinkedIn, all those platforms are screaming at you all the time mm. and you have them all in your hand, right? So what I've found is people today 
their brains are desperate for to, to grab onto something familiar and trusted. Mm. And that is where brand has the most power. B2C figured it out. Like think about, you know, they people choose Coke over Pepsi despite Pepsi being the preferred taste, right? Yeah. People think about Nike. All the B2C commonalities are they know that people choose brands that they love and trust and can feel relatability. B2B is just getting there where we're going you know, the, you know, when we choose software now, B2B, we go, which software? Oh, I've heard of Zero, right? So I choose Zero because it feels more modern. Yeah. Well, it taps into our natural cognitive laziness. Correct. You know, we don't want to think about it yeah. too hard. So if there's some, but how do you explain then the rise of spamming? Oh, like yeah. the number of B2B businesses, and, and I'm sure you get it too. I oh, get it, whether everywhere. it's on LinkedIn or email or whatever. That are just yeah. offering a generic, you know, we'll make you number one on Google. We'll yeah. get you 50 leads a month. We'll do, yeah. And and yet you've got no idea who they are. There is no relationship. There's no trust. Why do they think that um, this works? Is this just a sales technique? No, you know what? Unfortunately, because of AI, it's only going to get worse. And the reason why is because it's too easy right? It's too mm. tempting. See, I'll, I'll explain the cycle and I'm sure you know this, but you know, with AI, it's easy to go chat, GPT, whatever, Google bud, um, write me a, write me a LinkedIn message that will, t- will, that will target this particular audience to tell them that I'll help them. Right. And then it spits out something generic. The person doesn't know any better and they spit it out to every contact they've got. Right. And I think what we're getting is a generation of lazier marketers because it's so easy to do that. And I don't blame them, right? That you go to a portal and you go, write this for me. Then they get onto another piece of software that can spam it out and says, we can deliver it to 20,000. And I think what is happening is we are, with that being pushed, we get that, you know, resistance, mm-hmm. right? So if you think about the B2B human at the other side is we are going, oh my God, this is the 17th message I've got about being the first ranked person. So we go ignore, ignore. I report spam, report spam all the time, right? And I think what's happening is marketing is getting lazier into that whole let's automate everything and hope for the best because it's a numbers game. But at the same time, our customers and our consumers and our clients are going, I'm sick of being treated like a number and resist. And so what I'm seeing is that we're on this, like there's like this twisting that's going on where we've got more and more marketers are using that and more and more people are resisting. So, so I would say that they're, they're not marketers, they're salespeople. Yeah. Okay? Because mixed, a marketer would mm. be trying to build a perception, build yeah. a relationship, build a brand, build some trust. Yes. Not just hit them with leads. Yes, you know, I'm trying to generate a lead here. Why aren't you responding? Because, you know, and, and a very uh, wise old direct marketer, you know, when we used to have direct mm-hmm, marketing, mm-hmm. said to me, you know, they're always amazed when someone says that I'm getting a 0.1% response rate to my EDM campaign. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you realise that means 999 people out of 1,000 are actively rejecting you yes. and your brand? But see, because the, if they're not responding, yes. they're rejecting you. But the, you know what the problem is? I'm hearing this narrative where it doesn't matter, Chris. Right? Why? Like, uh, no, because see, this is the thing. I brought on consultants who had this attitude, and they said, um, "It doesn't matter, Chris. It's an engine. It doesn't matter. So you can. It doesn't like as long as that engine's running. If you 
it's, 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 a, it's too hard of a pill for me to swallow where they say if we send it out to 10,000 and you get three leads and they, those three leads work, you, you've won. Who cares? Right. For me, though, I fought back and I said, well, reputation mm. is my imp- Like I don't want to get. So what I found is I compromised and said, I'll get the list, then I'll curate it personally, and then I'm going to message them on LinkedIn with voice message. Right. So what I said was, I'll still contact them, but I'm not going to send them an automated. I'm going to say, hi there, Darren. Um, uh, my name is Chris. You know, I've seen you around the marketing traps for many, many a year. It's been a long time. I'd love to discuss that voice message converts probably 80, 90% of the time. Whereas the SMSs, all that spam, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. And this is why I do podcasts. This is why I do events because in today, B2B is still human to human. Yeah. 100%. Like it works. I said this to my team yesterday. I said, as much as we love our all of our automation, it's me going out there. It's my other team going out there. The phone call, the phone call within half an hour of an inquiry, all of that personalization in a world of AI, it's interesting paradox, isn't it? Trinity P3. Now, one of the things that you do yes. is build brand guidelines or yeah. frameworks, right? Mm. And, and I thought that was really clever yeah. because particularly, and I think you mentioned it before, salespeople like to change things. Yes. To, you know, they may say to customise to customise the offering to a particular um, prospect. Yep. They may want to change it because they're just bored with doing the same yes. thing over and over again. <laughs> they may want to change it because they don't think it's working because, you know, one person didn't like it. So mm-hmm. some research of one. Yes, uh, they've gone put quick them off change. the whole idea, right? Yes. So, so they... It is inclined, and we see this anyway in lots of businesses, constant change. Yes. It seems to me that building someone a brand framework mm-hmm. would be incredibly valuable. Oh, but how it's do you powerful. Get, so first of all, mm. what is the power and yeah. how do you get people to buy into it? Yeah. So the, the biggest killer of a brand is inconsistency. I even sometimes say I'm as bold as to say to my clients, if you're bored with your marketing, you've won, <laughs> right? Because I say, it's not about you. It doesn't matter what you feel, right? Is if you think about what's happening in the market, your customers see you 1% of their life, if mm. that. With that 1%, when they happen to interact with your brand, if they see you three times and it's three different things, you've lost them. People don't remember you, right? Whereas like you, like I know this is the, the big brands, but Bunnings, lowest prices are just the beginning, is drilled into us in ads, radio, visually, everything. We always see that. So as a result, we know Bunnings, we know the jingle, we know everything. Mm. That comes from consistency. Do you not think that the marketers in Bunnings go, God, if I hear that jingle one more time, I'm sure it's playing in your head. Is it playing in your head? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. playing in my head. Um, and I think those marketers in that company are probably thinking, God, I would kill for another colour. But they can't because yeah. the people that are there targeting, they know the sound, they know everything, they know what Bunnings represents. To answer your question is the power of consistency, I would say consistency and clarity. Mm-hmm. If if you are not proud of what your brand is saying and you cannot articulate it in a way that everyone has a uniformity, then you need to build your brand core messaging guidelines because 
if your sales team is saying something different to your customer service team, to your ads, to your this and that and the other, and you're using all these differences, how do you expect these poor people to remember your brand? They won't. Because you're expecting them to put it all together yeah. and then memorise it. And they yeah. don't. They, they, they owe you nothing, mm-hmm. right? So they people will gravitate to the brand that stands for something, right? Think about all the brands that you recognise. And I know we're going B2C, but we're trying to talk about B2C. But I'm saying B2C because people recognise it, right? Yeah. Apple. You know, it always stands for the same thing and everything they do, right, is always that. So people immediately when they see a slight bit of the logo or a bit of their website, Apple, Right. And so with B2B brands, you have to think the same, right? You use the same color, the same messaging, the same tone of voice, the same personality. Well, the big That's the thing power. That, yeah, the big thing that they've been talking about in the last year or so for B, B2C yes. is that often marketers will even change executions because they argue a burnout. Yes. Yet all of the research is showing that by the time they're changing the execution, the consumer's only just starting to Correct. become aware. The marketers are, are getting out, antsy. Yes. And then they want something And it's not new. about us. It's not about us. You know, this idea of a new big ad every year is now starting to look like it's one ad every two years. Uh, three and that's the years, thing. Yeah. So consistency and clarity mm. must be. So the first half of your question is what is it? Consistency and clarity, right? Yes, be bored of your marketing. And that's the power. So how I do it is I get in with the team and I do and I get everyone to talk me through it and I build and articulate their messaging from their knowledge, their customers' knowledge and all of that. So they've got a brand guidelines that they can sell with, they can put all over their website and use it. Now, um, there's something in that go. that really uh, delights me oh, and, and surprises me. Yeah, go for now, it. Now, and I say that because a lot of people talk about brand guidelines, but they're actually talking about things like logo types and yeah. colors and fonts and things like that. You're talking about the actual messaging, yes, the words that are said and the way that they're said and mm. and the, the what they convey. Yes. So the re- so I'll give you some background how I got here. So I started off as a copywriting agency, pure copywriting, mm-hmm. and I in Australia back when I started. Um, no one had a marketing background as a copywriter. They were Those people were in agencies. No one was a freelance marketing copywriter. All of the freelancers were all like stay-at-home mums and all these sort of things. So as a result of my marketing background, where I was working with clients who they went, oh, my God, you get, you get the concept, you get the practice, I stole the market, right? I ended up taking that whole market because they were like, Chris is in a league of his own. Now I've grown and grown and grown. And I've, what I did was people at first were hiring me for my copywriting. Then what now over time, they've actually hiring me for my consulting because Mm -hmm. they, and I'm talking message consulting because the writing is just a buy, a a nice bonus. They want me to help them bring their messaging together. So to get back to your question was, um, People now, they when they think brand guidelines, it's always logo, colour, right, all of that. I've added the other lesser-known cousin, which is I call the brand messaging guidelines. Yeah. And that is where, like you said, is that's where I built the business into and that's our signature move is now the copywriting is all the execution later. People want me for the brand, the big brand messaging and I've done it for News Corp, but I've done it for finance in legal. I've done it for all different industries and everyone needs that because they bring me in and they say, you know what they say? They say, we've got a Frankenstein going on in here. <laughs> and they're saying, if I, if you ask five people in this building, everyone will say different things. We need you to unify it. 
Trinity P3. Earlier on, you were talking about mid-level. Yeah. And I call them, they're usually large private companies. Mm-hmm. And then there's the very large companies. Yeah. The larger the organisation the greater the fragmentation and Mm -hmm. dissonance and and complexity. And it's interesting because this is one of the areas, you know, your your messaging guidelines is one of the areas that could actually link sales, marketing, uh, HR and corporate comms together. Correct. Because, you know, often you see it in very large organisations, depending where they are, Mm -hmm. they have a totally different vocabulary. Yes. They they often talk uh, uh, in different ways. Mm-hmm. They frame things differently. Oh, and, and, and I mean, so there's a lot. consumers don't just listen to marketing. They're also taking, you know, call centres, mm-hmm. salespeople. You know, yeah. If you get that consistency, that would be incredibly powerful. Oh, and I've done it for, like I've worked with O'Brien Glass and I've done this for a lot of big tech firms. And, and yes, you're right, because what I do is I... I often do the brand call messaging and then what they will get me to do is then add the sales messaging to that. So I actually put it together for the sales team mm-hmm. and then they'll actually even sometimes say, I call it the corporate call messaging, which is where I do their internal comms. Right. And it all stems from that same thing of the language, pulling it together and, and giving it some life. But the other thing is the secret source is that they all have buy-in. You see, yes. see, it's not me just coming in and going, I'm some sort of pro that knows what to do. Here it is. I sit down with them. And that's the that's the key. You sit down with them and you talk them through that. And you say, you know, what have we And you get, I, I've, I call it therapy sometimes. You know, I've, I've been in rooms where there's four directors who, who not, they don't hate each other, but they work in silos. Mm. And it didn't even occur to them that they needed a single message. And sometimes I had to say, you know, Rob, you've had your say now, you know, Julie, what's your what's your take on this? And it's that whole collaboration circle that finally gets it to a point. And sometimes, you know what it is? That first draft is the first time they've ever yeah. seen any of their branding before, ever. And sometimes that can spark incredibly binding, unifying exercises because suddenly they'll go, oh, I love that, and this can do here, yeah, and that yeah, can yeah. do that, and suddenly you get all these messages on a Google Doc, and they're like, we've had an epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird, isn't it? Because you know, you would just think that this happens, but I guess no, it does not. It's because they don't actually dedicate the time. I mean, I've I've run cross-functional workshops. Yeah, I bet you and, have. And people come in, and they've got, and they're introducing. Uh, we, we, Sorry, cross-functional, including agencies, mm. particularly when someone's appointed a new agency to to, to, to integrate out. them into the business. Yeah, and um, people will come in and they'll be introducing themselves to each other as if they're meeting the agency, and they'll suddenly go, "Oh my God, you work for the company? Like you're, too. you're, yeah, you're, you're in a different you're department." A fel- you're, and I, why have, how long have you been with the company? Oh, five years. And why haven't we ever met? You know, that's how mm-hmm. big some of these organisations Oh, I've or been to those how offices. how siloed they are mm-hmm. that they don't actually encourage that cross-functional oh, um, collaboration. 100%. I've been into some of the offices of a lot of these big organisations, which I won't name, and yeah. I've, I've walked around and they have actually said, like, I've been working with the marketing team and I'm like, oh, let's go for a bit of a walk over there. And they'll go, we don't even know what department's over there. Uh, like, hand on heart, that's what they've said. Mm. Or they will say, I'll be like, oh, this is level two. What's on level three? And they'll all look at each other and go, is that 
is that licensing? Is that who, who's up there? They don't, they don't mix and they mm. don't gel. And so when I've been doing some of this core messaging, I've actually found that it's eased a lot of tension because corporate affairs will come in and say their piece mm. and marketing will say their piece and sales will say and customer service. And they like because I'm an external person, I can take the brunt of their frustrations yeah. and we can find a middle ground. And that and that's helped a lot. And also distill the frustration yes. out of it and get yeah. to the core of what they're trying of what they're to, doing and what, what they, they say. want to communicate. Uh, yep, and it's surprising it is therapy, how different isn't it, it really is. Therapy. And I love it because my personality is very caring, nurturing, empathetic. Like yeah. it's, I'm huge in that space. So for me, it's like this perfect blend of marketing and writing expertise together with my nurturing nature. Like I couldn't if I was this full like aggressive alpha male, I don't think it would work because people would go, he never listens. Like we're trying to tell him our messaging. He's not caring and he's saying you have to do this and then they'd get annoyed. Whereas because I sort of wax on, wax off kind of feel, they feel heard but still led and that's the difference. What I like about it as well is that it puts the concept of brand management Mm -hmm. with marketing but the ownership of brand with the organisation. Yeah. Because in many ways it's not taking brand off marketing. No, no. Because brand actually exists across the organisation and you having those sessions of getting people's input and listening to them and distilling that then gives uh, marketing a very clear idea. Of what they're dealing with. Magic words. It's almost like an audit. It is. That's what I actually call it a lot of the times. You said the magic words there. We need everyone to realise today that brand is not just marketing. That you, You said it exactly. I'm very passionate about this. I've done talks on brand and the people have, people have called and they've said, Chris, what aspect of brand are you talking about? I'm like, oh, just brand in general, right? And they'll go, but but you mean, do you mean like logo? I'm like, no, 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 your brand. Yeah. And they couldn't get their heads around it. Today, corporations of all sizes need to know that a brand is everything, right? When you call and you speak to the customer service team and they go, what do you want? That's brand damage, mm-hmm. right? That has nothing to do with marketing. It's the customer service team, right? Little things like terms and conditions. If it says you've got seven days, you know, you've got seven days to return something and they hide that and then they, the person has a bad experience because they go, oh, I didn't realise it was expiring in seven days. Bad marketing, bad branding. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with marketing, right? They didn't do that. And so operations is brand. Sales is brand. Website is brand. Um, your phone system is brand. Your CRM strength is brand. Everything now is brand. Mm-hmm. And remember, your customer doesn't know the difference, right? Like you look in Sydney and you see the Salesforce building, right? Nothing to do with marketing. It's a big sign on the, you know, but people go, wow, Salesforce must be smashing it. I've suddenly realised in what you've said then, why B2B has really emerged around this idea of brand. Because when you think about B2C, we traditionally think of products. Yeah. And yeah. so the brand is built on the product. The Coca-Cola bottle. Yeah. yeah. The, the experience of mm-hmm. it, the, the look of it, the style. But it's less to do about the company. Yeah. When you're dealing in B2B, most of what they're selling is it's the a brand. Is, is mm-hmm. the services delivered by the company Correct. creates the brand perception. It is. And so being able to, first of all, articulate that and then consistently, 
and positively reinforce mm-hmm. it is where the power comes. Yeah, uh, I did some consulting for a client a few weeks ago and they said, and uh, I agree with you, and he said, because the consistency piece, he goes, I've always got all this great expertise to share. And he said, but I I can't, everyone keeps scrolling by my LinkedIn. And I said, you know what the difference is? I said, I put my orange banners right behind me and they know, oh, that's the orange guy, that's Chris, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes they don't even listen to what I've said, but I, they see me and they go, so I said, Find a background that has your brand on it and use it. And people will go, oh, that's the guy that talks about the stats, the green guy, uh, what was his name? And suddenly you're educating, you're educating. It's that consistency. Mm -hmm. And the point I'm making here is think about your, your, like you said, with B2B, think about the colours that you use, the way that you you connect, Mm -hmm. the way that your experience is on the website, the way that your, your materials feel. Like when you present to a board, and you give them a document and it feels nice and crisp, that's your brand, mm. right? As you said, people are buying everything about your brand and they choose irrationally sometimes because they'll go, this lawyer has nice stationery. <laughs> like they must know their stuff, yeah, yeah. right? It's that physical evidence, everything that is brand. And so that's why you're right. B2B has really embraced that strength of brand. Yeah. And so they should. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, it builds that relation, builds the trust, Mm -hmm. opens the door, becomes the platform for attracting clients but also converting them and building loyalty from them. Yeah, 100%. And I I love this stuff. And the way that I put the brand messaging in place, not many people, see, this is what you get in a brand guidelines. Usually you get, we are fun, we are clever, we are smart, right? Whereas to me, I get into the writing. Like I'll say, this is what you put on your homepage, you know? You know, it'll be something like be dominant, you know, uh, find your space in the market and and destroy that niche or whatever it is, right? That's the hero statement. Then it'll be the explanation statement, the core messaging underneath that, how you say about us. All of that needs smart, clever, consistent crafting, and if you do that successfully across all your socials and all of that, it, it does a good, like that's where the brand power comes from. That's so valuable. Yeah. Invaluable, uh, Chris. But unfortunately. Oh, oh no, we've, we've talked run, too much. We've run oh, out man. of time. You know? um, it, it must be incredibly gratifying, mm-hmm. though, to be invited into a business. Hugely. And given so much access. Because mm-hmm. I imagine that's what it takes to get this right. Oh, definitely. And, and it's an honour. And I treat it that way. I don't just go, well, of course I'm here. Yeah. Like I, I, every time I get that major client, I'm like, look at where I am. You know, I just, it is an honour. Well, Chris Malotti, thank you for taking the time and talking with us today on uh, on managing marketing. It's it's actually, it is my honour to be here because I've known you for a long time. Well, I've seen you (laughs) around for a long time. So it's it's an honour to be interviewed by you. So um, a question for you before you go, and that is, you know, of all of the B2B brands that we currently see, which is the one that you think has the most opportunity for growth? (laughs) 